You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features David Allen. Originally from Monticello, New York, David began wrestling in the seventh grade and stuck with it all through high school. He went on to Buffalo State College and built a career in banking and finance while lending his talents to young wrestlers as a volunteer coach and as the founder of American Youth Wrestling Club. Eventually, David's passion for people motivated him to switch gears professionally, but no matter where he has landed in his journey, be it in wealth management or helping youth and young adults transition to independent living, he has maintained his commitment to treating others with compassion. And through his wrestling club, which continues to thrive, David has witnessed how a compassionate approach paired with quality mentorship can significantly impact the lives of youth. So, you know the drill. Please take a listen and enjoy. David, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So, we always keep real on the show. Like, we're very open. You stepped in Mm -hmm. at the last minute to conduct this interview with no prep. Nothing. Yeah, I had a childhood friend gave me a call, a good man, a great man, mm-hmm. and asked me to do him a favor, and uh, I had to do it. Well, we appreciate you coming on such short notice. But I like your spirit. I like your personality. You have, like, that humor that sneaks up on you, you know, because you look really serious. Right. But then underneath it all, you know, the next smile comes bright. So I know there's joy underneath. Oh, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy every day. So let's get into it. Who is David Allen? Wow. Okay, who's David Allen? Um, well, you know, David Allen's from Monticello, New York, upstate New York. So I moved to Brooklyn maybe like 26 years ago uh, with that good friend who asked me tonight to come mm-hmm. by and, and cover. He asked me. Uh, I lived with him when I initially got here. I uh, graduated you know, from Buffalo State College. Uh, so, uh, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a uh, son. I love to cook. Mm-hmm. I'm a wrestling coach, and I guess that's really the reason that I'm here tonight is to talk about the wrestling program. Uh, and I'm a, a director of a shelter for, for uh, runaway youths uh, yeah. up in the Bronx. So I like to run, I'm, I, you know, I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none. Mm-hmm. So Monticello, can't say I've ever been there. The real money earning? I cannot say I know anything <laughs> about Monticello. So tell me what that was like growing up in upstate New York. Oh, it was great. It was great. It was actually a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very diverse area at the time in the 80s, 70s, and 80s. It gave me time to be a boy, to grow up running through the woods, mm-hmm. uh, climbing trees and building forts and uh, and and having good friends. So it was a great experience. Um, it's located about an hour and a half outside of New York City. Okay. So it used to be called the, uh, the Bo- it's in the Borscht Belt or, or the Catskills in New York. So, you know, it was definitely a great place to grow up. And see, all I know about the Catskills is like, that's the place where like rich families from the city used to go back in their day. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the um, it was, it's called, the, it was, used to be called the Jewish Resort Capital mm-hmm. in the world. I don't know if you remember the movie, uh, Dirty Dancing. Yes. Okay, so that's, mm-hmm took place in the Catskills and kind of, uh, that's what the, the, that was a a good example of of how the Catskills used to be. Mm -hmm. So when you were growing up and thinking about your, the adult version of your life, back then was, was it I want to be a coach and and help at at risk youth? Well, I always think about this, Um, like, you know, 
I always look at at the time when I was growing up as a as a as a uh, person of color, as a young man of color at the time. Um, it was kind of drilled into our minds that we have to grow up and be professionals, a suit and tie and shirt, and sit behind the desk and and make money. Like, you know, that was what's important: professional, go to college, all those things. Uh, you had to do versus, you know, what you wanted to do or, or, or the things that you love to do. So, you know, I think younger people, to, young people today, you know, that's that those they're having the, those type of conversations mm -hmm. um, with their parents or uh, with their peers. I have that type, type of conversation with my daughter uh, who's 18 years old mm -hmm. uh, today. You know, I have that with her every day. I said, you know, try to figure out what you love to do and enjoy doing versus what sounds good or what you think sounds good. And I think now in this day and age, because of the internet and think people reaching notoriety and a level of influence or success in non-traditional careers or things that are deemed unsafe. Um, I do feel like a lot of the teenagers that I run to or kids who are like starting their college career are open. Not all, but some are open to um, other paths and just not making a decision saying, I want to be a doctor, I want to be this because or I want to go corporate because it's safe and I know I can make money. But growing up, like at the time you were in, I'm sure it was like, this is a, I'm going to school and I'm going to school for these, right. for these reasons. Right. Right. So what was your, when you entered college, what was your plan for your life at that point? Uh, to, well, at the time, I, I took a lot of psychology and mm -hmm. service courses, and my direction was to become like a psychologist. Mm -hmm. um, and um, when I when I graduated from college, I came back home and I actually worked as a MICA counselor for four years. Really? And Mike Mental and this chemical abuse counselor. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I actually worked in a residence setting, and I loved the residence, I loved the job. Um, but it didn't have that that profile that I was that was drilled into my mind coming up of being a professional, mm -hmm. making money because you know that those type of jobs you're not making any money. You really have to come to really enjoy that job. It has to come from the heart. Yeah. And you have to have the understanding that you're not going to make money, but you're making uh, you're doing good mm -hmm. by others. Uh, so I did that for four years and eventually moved to the city and uh, I got a job as a, as a stockbroker. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> so totally, totally kind of, uh, different. Talk about a 180. Right. So you go take these psychology courses, which could actually help, I think, with the finance world. But mm -hmm. um, you work in four years in something that you're really passionate about. And it's all about human connection, right? right. And, and really impacting, hopefully, the path of someone's life mm -hmm. to come to New York and be a stockbroker, yeah, which well, is like kind boiler of, room. Well, yeah, the boiler room. It was really, it was, it was that whole boiler room, you know, $500 a day, uh, you know, calling people, trying to swindle them out of their money, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I still had, you know, I always have that human service heart, you know, and I was decent at it, but I wasn't good at it because of the heart that I had. And I knew that ahead of time that this is not for me and not really, I didn't want to enjoy lying to people or taking advantage of a person. Uh, and that's not really, that's not David Allen. Mm -hmm. But so I, it didn't last long. I did it for two, two, three years. And then I eventually worked at a, a discount trading company where I was a trader. Uh, and which means I took orders from mm -hmm. people when they called in the, uh, for stock trades. 
Um, I did that for a few years and eventually worked for one of the big banks. I went over to the big banks and, and was a, became a banker, So, which I enjoyed, actually. That was pretty cool. What did you enjoy about being a, a banker? The help, helping people, mm-hmm. you know, um, helping people with their, you know, making their financial decisions. I, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And the talking part. Uh, I told you I was a chatty kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, talking with people and you, you get to know people really well, especially when you're talking about their money. So I had, you know, a lot of great people, a lot of good people that I met and uh, still keep in contact with. And, 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 you know, and I learned a lot when it came to finance. But, you know, that can only last so long because, you know, you're still driven by, you know, uh, um, by uh, commissions and fees and things like that. So to me still, it wasn't pure at heart. And I really wasn't you know, I always had an ulterior motive uh, in my mind and really tried to help people. I mean, you, you know, when you're talking about helping people or elderly people, you know, they come in, you know, helping them with their accounts, you know, they don't, you know, you know they're more vulnerable to be taking advantage of. Um, so that, you know, I, I enjoyed that piece, um, you know, safeguarding, making sure that they were okay, um, making smart decisions about their money, money as well. So, I, you know, I enjoyed that piece, um, but, you know, it wasn't something that I, at the end, the later, latter part of uh, my career, I really didn't enjoy it. Um, as much mm-hmm. um, became too commercial and became too much about the money. So I had an opportunity to, to move on and work uh, for a non-for-profit uh, in which I helped uh, um, with the banking process for, for many years. A good friend of mine uh, was doing good work out there for this not-for-profit and I decided to get involved with it uh, at, uh, at one of the programs. So here's what I find interesting about your story. Um, Often, someone who's familiar with the financial services industry, it's it's much like the law in that it's a conveyor belt. And once you get on it and you start to make the money, Mm -hmm. it is really hard to get off. Mm -hmm. Um, So you went from human services to finance world. And then, you know, being a banker and helping people in that way, but leaving because of the commercial aspects of it Mm -hmm. and then going to the nonprofit space. Mm Did that play on your ego at all? Like if you had friends who stayed on the corporate path, but you, you know, you were off and you got on and you, you got off again? Well, I mean, I think it's age. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, uh, you know, as I was telling you all, I'm, I just turned 50 a couple of days ago. It's like, so my viewpoint of things is, is, is much different than when I was 30 years mm-hmm. old. At 30, I was like, no, nah, I'm going to make this money and, and I'm going to do, you know, I'm still going to do the right thing. I'm still going to help other people, but there's an opportunity to make good money. Um, at 40, it wasn't like that anymore. It became more like, you know, you're still doing the right thing, but is this really what you're put on earth to do? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, is this what you know, God ultimately wants you to do? So that's actually how I started the rest coaching, uh, the wrestling program was while I was a banker. It was an outlet for me. Got it. Okay. For me to do better, mm-hmm. to help others, and to bring uh, uh, a sport to uh, kids that probably would never have wrestled or, or even heard of wrestling before in the inner city. You know, Brooklyn's all about basketball. You know, you know. Right. So that's how I actually got in. You know, that I was looking for an outlet to do good and, and to find something positive. And I think you know, uh, President Obama was talking about my brother's keeper at mm-hmm. the time, and and that kind of. 
that they, I, I kind of want to do such a thing is, is to be my brother's keeper. Um, I see that, you know, a lot of these children, a lot of the kids in, in, in the inner city um, can, you know, could could benefit from our mentorship. Uh, as, as a black man, I think we should do more mentorship. Um, I did mentorship in my frater- the fraternity that I belong to, uh, Kappa Alpha Psi. Um, so, you know, that was a way for me, that was an outlet for me to do such that, you know, as a volunteer program as well. You know, it's always been volunteer, our wrestling program. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of positive things come about for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, you know, it's something I do. I, I, this is what I do. I loved wrestling when I was growing up and I loved it in high school when I wrestled. My brother and I used to wrestle, my, my, my best friend, uh, who who uh, referred me here was one of my wrestling teammates uh, in middle school. Um, so you know, it's always been in, uh, around my life, and it's made me the man kind of who I am. The self, the confident, self confidence, independent thinking individual that I am. So you work a lot of things, right? That's good. All right, you're supposed to do most of the talk. <laughs> we appreciate it. All right, yeah. um, so you're working as a banker. You decide, all right, I need an outlet here. Was it an immediate that? You said wrestling is the way, or did you stumble on that opportunity? No, was wrestling? No, it's it was a way. It was a it's a sport that I think it was something that I enjoyed doing, mm-hmm. and it was something that I think could have a positive impact on young men. That's why I did that. Okay, so you started as a coach, right? But did you create at that point a wrestling club, or were you just coaching in? No, so I got in touch with um, a good a good friend of mine mm-hmm. who was. Uh, on the wrestling team who was in downtown Brooklyn. He's a, he was a gym teacher at this particular elementary school. Mm-hmm. And I spoke with him about starting a wrestling program then uh, because if you're gonna start a program, you started at the junior level, at the, at the elementary level. And it was kind of, you know, ad hoc and, and we kind of figured it out and, and, and we got involved with uh, uh, not, another non-for-profit called Beat the Streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they helped us out uh, with matches and, and connecting us with other uh, uh, wrestling programs in the community. Um, and we started from there. Um, you know, it was because of, you know, you know, I, I'm not sure. It's, it's, it, are you familiar with Farragut Housing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what the program is based. It's right, okay. the school's right across the street from Farragut Housing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you know about, you know, Farragut, it's a very challenging neighborhood, yeah. you know. Um, and it was a great opportunity to get involved with a program that, that we're in a neighborhood that has challenges and to teach some of the kids a different uh, uh, way of life. Because wrestling was or is and is a way of life. Yeah. So one of the things that I think a lot of people who work corporate struggle with is they want to give back, but they're like, even if they see it as an outlet because their days are so challenging, often they're like, I, I don't want to commit myself to anything that's going to require me to have to show up. And people don't often admit it that explicitly, but that's really that's what true. it is, right? It's, 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 it's not a one-time, I'm going to go to the kitchen true. or whatever. Like, no, I have to be there. These it's kids true. are going to be looking for me. Right. So how do you, even though it was an outlet for you, how did you keep going while balancing a job that I'm sure was draining during the day? Well, it, it was it, it was challenging. and But one of the things that I, I made a, a commitment in the beginning is that I was going to make sure that I was going to be there because you have to be consistent with kids. Um, and and and, and when I started, I, I seen how they received the sport. I see how they received wrestling, and, and they, they loved it. 
And, you know, I would be, I didn't want to let them down, you know, by not showing up. And I wanted to be consistent in anything that, you know, it was a challenge to myself. You need to yeah. be consistent. You need to do better. You need to be a better person. And then for something like this, you definitely need to be on top of this. You, ne- you definitely need to show up. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. My wife you know, will say, you know, it's a, it is a commitment and, and, and it is challenging. But, you know, my wife always not, you know, she'll make a joke around, you know, where are you at? You go, you go to that wrestling program again, you know. <laughs> but uh, she understands she, that that we're doing good work. And mm-hmm. so she's with it. So you left, you coaching wrestling, you leave banking, right. and you go to work for this nonprofit. Yeah. So what does your role look like at the nonprofit? Oh, that, that, that was interesting, you know, because it, it's a, it was at a halfway house, a federal halfway house. Mm-hmm. Um, I initially started as the uh, transition skills uh, coordinator. And these are guys that are getting out of prison that, mm-hmm. that did 15 to 20 to 30 years in prison. So um, I'm the type of person that if I'm involved with something, I bring good energy to the table and I, and I love it. And I love that job. Um, helping brothers and sisters like ourselves, color, you know, uh, people of color, uh, transition once again back into their, to, into their, to their lives. Um, I, I found it m- most rewarding. Helping, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still that central theme of helping people. But now I can do it as a job, and I do it a hundred. I do without any ulterior motives. I'm not, I'm not getting any uh, increase in pay, or I'm not getting any commissions for the for the most people that I can help transition back right. in, into their lives. I'm doing it out of just pure, uh, uh, you know, it's pure. So let's talk about that that pure piece without mm. pay or increase in pay or commission tied to it. Mm. Uh, we're very candid on this show. Uh, so I would presume if you left big bank corporate uh, to go work at a nonprofit, that means the change in income. What? How do you have that conversation with your wife, like in your family, that this is a direction oh, that I want to go? My wife makes more money than me, so, just, <laughs> so that's not an issue. Like I said, once we can, it's, I did this in my, my early, mm-hmm. I did this like six years ago, actually. But, you know, I was sitting at my desk and I'm like, you know, getting head <laughs> pain yeah. and, and pains in my arm and, it's, it was truly an, a very unhealthy environment. It was too much, too, it was just too much. And I knew if I didn't make that change, um, sometimes you gotta go through stuff yeah. too. You know, I was humbled out at the time. I, I think I was in Manhattan at the time and, and I started getting these anxiety attacks and uh, I went through a whole mental thing for a few months, you know. Um, it was from the stress. It was in 2007, actually. Ooh. That's when the market crashed. Mm-hmm. And I had my, you know, people were taking their money out of their accounts and hiding under their beds. And, you know, everybody was scared of what was going to happen next. And that, that affected me. And, you know, I always walked, thought I was unstoppable. Now, I'm a wrestler. You, know, you can't beat me, you know. But that got me. So I think that humble, that experience, uh, that, that uh, changed me a little bit mm-hmm. um, to think, you know, you know, this is not a healthy means of, of, of living. Um, and, uh, you know, you are... You, you know, you know these, those changes kind of made me want to do more, do something different, and do something to help others. This was was the uh, key. So we we cover a lot of different. Yeah, I hit a lot of things. Yeah, we 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 hit a lot of topics on this show. Um, we we also have spoken about the male female dynamic, particularly around couples and money. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a problem with your wife making more money than you? 
Uh, the only problem I have. Oh, don't get in trouble at home. Okay. The only, the only problem that I have is that I, she spends my money. <laughs> Which is, we should be spending her money. That's the gotcha. only problem I have. You still but I very think highly of my wife. My wife is a, is a very good woman. And uh, I think one day, you know, I always tell her, you know, she's the type of person, you know, uh, I tell her, you're going to run that company one day. And mm -hmm. she's like, uh, I don't want to run that company. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they push her up and they, you know, keep promoting her and things like that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't have, that's not, that was a non-issue uh, with the money uh, piece. I think she was more worried with my health. Yeah. yeah and that's, 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 that was the most important thing. Which also speaks to, like, it sounds cliche, but, like, when you make a decision to marry someone, it is marrying them for who they are and not what they do or not. And, and I have this conversation, you know, with friends all the time where people want to create this this picture. Like, yeah. I'm corporate, he's corporate, we're going to be corporate together, we're yeah. both going to kill the game, yeah. we're going to make a half a million dollars a year between yeah. our two salaries eventually, et cetera, and marrying people to check those boxes. And then when one element of that goes away, when the box goes away, mm. you realize the relationship was on shaky ground and wasn't built on anything real That's true. to begin with. That's true. You know, so It's a show, and I think people could do that for a show. And I yeah. always look at other people's relationships um, as, oh, it looks nice. Mm -hmm. you know, it's a bright, shiny penny, but, you know, okay. You know, I don't know what's going on behind the you know, behind the scene or what's going on. Neither do, you know, does anybody, mm -hmm. you know. So when you start getting into those those, those ways of, of trying to build an image or image to, to be the best relationship, you just, you're just destined, you're, you're putting yourself at risk of having a, bad uh, experience down the road. Absolutely. I've seen, in my many years, <laughs> I've seen a lot of relationships break up over that. Mm -hmm. those, those relationships that everybody holds, holds up in high standards, or, or, or the, uh, uh, the, the Joneses. Right. Um, it never really works out. Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. So in the role that you do by day, uh -huh. um, I feel like you're doing multiple roles by day. Yeah, well, I'm but, no longer doing the, the halfway house. Yeah, so now you are running a shelter. Yeah, right? I'm running, yeah, for runaway use. For runaway use. Yeah. So what does that role look like now? Um, still giving, still caring, still mm -hmm. helping. You know, everything I like. You know, I get cursed out all the time. You know? I was about to say, I'm sure you it's come rough. across some challenging personalities. But, you know, all, all the kids have their, especially, all have, you know, they're all special. And then... You know, and you got to treat them differently, you know, because you know, they all don't have the same experiences. You know, that kid that grew up in a drug-infested home um, is going to be probably your biggest challenge, you know, but he wasn't, you didn't have the benefit of having a, a normal upbringing. Um, so, you know, I kind of, you know, those are the ones I want to help the most, and those are the ones I try to, be more understanding, a little more patient with them. Whereas the kids, you know, who may have come from another country uh, uh, to, to New York and don't have family, they had that family structure at home. So they hit the ground running. Yeah. And those are the ones that don't need any help and they do everything but on their own and, you know, find a job, get independent living and move on. They're fine, but they had a great, or had a, a good childhood. Mm -hmm. So you have to treat each each of these each of my guys would have to treat differently. And I tell my staff that as well. You know, don't take anything to heart. You know, just you know, we're here to help them. So yeah, that's that was one of the um, 
not taking it to heart. Mm -hmm. um, but the empathy piece, I think, you know, I, I find that, yeah, I think empathy was one of the, is one of your slogans or one of your... Uh, yeah, one part, you know, inspiration, empathy, all those things mixed together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, if you are if you can't visualize yourself ever being down, mm -hmm. and I tell my staff this all the time, if you think that everything is going to be rosy all the time and that you can never see yourself as homeless, and most of people, <laughs> most of Americans are like a paycheck away from being homeless. Right. Uh, then I don't want you in my facility, working at my facility, because you're not, you know, that's just irrational. And, and, and then you can't empathize with, with uh, the residents, mm -hmm. um, can't be empathetic. You can't know that you can fall. Everybody can fall at one time. Right. So, you know, you have people who think oh, I'm unstoppable, nothing can stop me, I'm the greatest, I'm the best person in the world. Um, you know, they probably have a hard time being empathetic. Mm -hmm. you know? So I can't, you know, that's one of the big things is, is, is being, a little, you know, that's why I think I'm good at what I do uh, as a coach, as a, as a, as a program director, because I'm empathetic, I understand. How, you know, it's, and I, I say the kids are one of the toughest crowds, like, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they can see through the BS and if, if you're not authentic, but in both environments, how do you gain their trust? Oh, I'm 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 less transparent. Um, I'm upfront, um, and I care. And that's the biggest thing is I, I I give a crap, and and a lot of adults don't give a crap when they're dealing with kids. They don't they don't value their opinion or their thoughts on what they have to say. Um, um, I listen. You know, it's very easy to listen. You know, people want to be listened to. So right. you know, you have to listen to people. And and I and I try to you know I try to add some value when I talk to the young people. And when my wrestling team, you know, you know, I try to add you know some life experiences to them, or my experiences, or, or how I would handle the situation. So I'm a talker. And I think I get that from my father because when we were younger, he used to uh, his punishment was to sit us down and, and lecture us for for an hour, and you know. You know, by just sharing his thoughts, would rather, you know, I'd rather beat me and get it over with. <laughs> but sitting down and talking, I, you know, I, I, I sit down, I take time, and I, I reinforce the positive behaviors. I find the good, um, and, and, and I try to promote that. Every kid has a talent. Every kid has a strength. And I'm trying to develop that when it comes to wrestling and I try to develop it as, as a program director. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit more about American Youth Wrestling Club. Okay. So we, we started the wrestling program eight years ago at PS307, which is located in downtown Brooklyn. Uh, as the time I was working at the bank, it gave me uh, an opportunity to do something for my community. Um, so I started the wrestling program there uh, with elementary uh, school kids. We started from third grade and up to the fifth grade. And, it, and the kids really enjoyed it. Um, and really enjoyed working with the kids. Um, I got involved with Beat the Streets. Uh, and uh, we started doing some more wrestling. Still strictly volunteers, still strictly just me coaching. And uh, my assistant coaches were uh, my brother and... and uh, my good friend, mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Jackson, and his brother. Uh, uh, so it was a labor of love just to try to bring the sports that, that we all loved. And that was the thing, we all loved the sport too. Mm -hmm. And we all benefited tremendously from the sport. 
So doing, you know, I seen how it was benefiting some of the kids. At, at that, uh, that was my prime motivation. After the first year, I was seeing how it benefited the kids. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. You know, and what keeps me coming back is the kids growing up, becoming stronger, smarter, and better. You know, each year they just keep on getting, you know, they, you know, and that's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But you you plant the seeds, and that was one of the seeds that I planted. I have a kid that I work with. Uh, who's a pain in the butt, and uh, yeah, he's he, 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 he pain in the butt, but he's a good kid, and I mean, his trajectory is, is unlimited where he can go in life. But he's also the kid that walks down the the, the streets, and all the hoods know him, and they're giving him pounds, so he can either go there and be a, a street guy and be in the hood, or he can be the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I've been working with this guy. I've been for, for the last four years, five years, I worked with him. And and he's, you know, he, he's mouthed off. Sometimes he's, I've been cursed out by him before. I, he's walked out of practice. He's been upset with me many times. So we've, we've been trying to work with some of his issues, his anger issues or how he deals with situations. So I think it was like a couple, maybe a month ago, I'm yelling at him. He was leaving practice and I was like, where are you going? And um, he was, he, uh, he uh, told me that he was leaving practice. So I became upset. I was, you know, just out of sorts, just saying, you know, you know what are you doing? You can't quit. What are you, you know, just being, you know, just pressing his buttons. And he just looked at me and he said, coach, I'm not gonna, I'm not going down that road with you. I'm just gonna leave and go home. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna curse or argue with you, coach. He was the bigger man, and I and I and from that I was like, yo, that's this is what it's all about. And I felt stupid and I felt embarrassed, and, but I also felt proud at the same yeah. time. So it was a, it was really a weird feeling. So this is what I find I'm curious about. Like, it's one thing to go into the hood, and be like you should play football, or like you said, you should play basketball. How do you convince kids in these neighborhoods like put on this unitard? And come get on the map. Well, you don't do that. You don't do that. <laughs> Yo, listen, it, it's, it's a weird, too. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing because, you know, today, kids with the leotard, like, it's like, you know, some of the, the, the organizations, the programs, you're allowed to wear shorts mm-hmm. or fighting shorts or the MMA suit with the shorts and things like that. And that's, some kids do that. Mm-hmm. But my guys, if they want, you know, initially when you, you, when you begin in wrestling, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm not wearing a leotard. But when you start going and traveling the country, you see like the best guys are wearing leotards in the headgear. And, you know, that's when they kind of made that change. So now none of my guys wear shorts and shorts. They wear, this, it's called a singlet too. It's not a leotard. Listen, I was just trying to be funny. I know the appropriate. My brother's your brother. It's called a singlet. I do know that that is the official name. I'm just talking about so it's kind of weird how that worked out. But when I was in, when I wrestled, you just had a singlet. You didn't, you had, <laughs> no you had no options. You had no options. So yeah, so it's not, it's not an issue, mm-hmm. uh, especially now that my guys are, they've been with me um, for a while. And we used to be, we used to get beat up all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, 
now, you know, we're winning matches and, and we're beating guys. And, uh, and we're, we're, the, we're the winners now, which is an odd place to be. But we are the winners. We've beaten a lot of guys uh, throughout New York City. And I, I knew that was going to happen. You know, I knew that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that type of sport. You, you develop into it. It's not something that you're not going to start off as a world do, uh, dominator. You have to put in time. And, and that's what our guys have started to do. They're starting to get wins and they're, they're putting in time in their singlets. So eight years in, got the guys were in the singlets. How many kids are you serving now? Well, now I'm mainly focused now. Uh, uh, I'm focusing right now on my middle school guys. Mm -hmm. So right now we're in our middle school season. So seventh through eighth grade. And we have some fifth grade. I have two fifth graders, actually. So I say about 12 guys mm -hmm. uh, for the middle school program. Um, and when I do the elementary school, um, we can have up to 20 kids. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, wrestling is a very difficult sport. You know, people don't always, you have to, it's the type of sport in which it's so challenging, it's so physically challenging, it's mentally challenging, um, that a lot of kids don't stick around. You really have to love the sport. Your ear gets all messed up, <laughs> you get beat up. You know, it's a really challenging sport. So, you know, you can't blame anything on anybody else except yourself mm -hmm. in that sport. So, like I said, uh, you know, 20 to 30, and in, in when I do the elementary program, which I usually do in the springtime, and, and, and it trickles down to my the guys that stay there from middle school, sixth through eighth, uh, to wrestle uh, uh, the middle school junior program. Mm -hmm. And did you see the story on the, the kid who came to his match and the official forced him to cut his hair? You know, I, I was an official too before mm -hmm. I was actually a coach. And it, it was it, it was wrong. It was horrible. It was, it was the worst thing you could you could do. I mean, um, as as adults at a, a sporting event, we're there to make sure. Uh, that the child, we're not there to destroy their, their, their self-esteem. And I believe what that referee did, I believe that the woman that was cutting his hair was, was, was destroying his, his, his self-esteem. And she was kind of smiling too, which was kind of, kind of weird. Mm -hmm. So I didn't agree with that. And they didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, they could have did some type of ad hoc system with the hair uh, dress that he had or, or the hair net um, to help him out. Um, it, it was just too extreme. And along those same lines, do you end up bringing your kids into environments to compete with people that don't look like them? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then that's the thing about wrestling. Wrestling is, is the type of sport where you will rub elbows with other people. You're not, you know, that's that's not uncommon. I mean, especially if you start traveling all, all over the country because um, that's that's... Yeah, it's a very diverse uh, environment. Do you do anything to prepare them for being in those environments? No, 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 because here's the other thing is that because wrestling is, is that blood, sweat, and tears type of sport, mm -hmm. meaning that you will cry, you will bleed, and you will sweat in that type of sport, it kind of humbles you out. Mm -hmm. So other wrestlers are really humble guys as well. And I find they're really drawn to my guys, you know, because my guys are different, you know. We're, we're, you know, it's majority, not majority now, but a lot of children of color mm -hmm. are at the program, but they're drawn to them as friends. And they create these interesting bonds. And, and, and that's another interesting thing is the bond that you create on the mat and off the mat and the friends that you have. My brother and my best friend is a school teacher. Is a school teacher. I work with my brother. I work with my, 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 one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. 
and we all wrestled and his brother's there and we keep connected. So it, it creates that environment where um, if you wrestle, people that wrestle, and, and your brother can attest to that. I mean, you meet people and if you talk about wrestling, you know, the respect is there at first and then the conversation is there and then the friendship, you can create a friendship, you know, because wrestling's are, people that wrestle are kind of like the best people anyway. They're very humble people um, and they're good people. They're the bully, they're the kids that used to get bullied. <laughs> So tell me what your proudest moment as a coach has been. Okay, it was like two weeks ago. Oh, recently? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got to tell my story about my boy. So I have a kid that uh, he started wrestling like three years ago. And I think, I think he's on the spectrum of autism. I think he's on the spectrum of autism. Uh, he, he would get bullied in school. And... He would just cry and he he just was, you know, he that was his way of dealing with situations, just just to cry. And we introduced him to wrestling and he and you could tell I could tell that the kid was very athletic. Um, a little lucid. <laughs> but he was very athletic. And I remember him coming to the to the first couple of practice, the pra the first year of practice, and he would just lay down in the middle of the mats in the middle of the floor and look up at the ceiling. And I had to grab him and drag his feet off the mat and, and let him sit there for a while. And he wouldn't be able to, he, he didn't finish most of the, the, the practices at, in the beginning. So move forward to now. The same kid is, 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 doing great. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's been wrestling now at the junior league level and he's in fifth grade and he's winning. He's beating a lot of kids, a lot of tough kids. And and it's like night and day. Mm -hmm. um, my buddy who's the gym teacher, who's his gym teacher, says he's the best athlete in his middle school. I mean, wow. the kid basketball, he's wrestling, whatever. He's the best athlete in his school. His father, his parents, they consist, they see the they see the change. They see the change in their son. And his father, you know, is constantly there. He sees what the impact has been on his son's life. And and uh, yeah, it's just it's awesome. I mean, I, I think very, I think very highly of this kid too. You know, because he has, he has, like I said, he has challenges, and for him to make a, such a, uh, such, to make such progress, uh, and to stick around to a sport that that really challenges you mentally and physically is just awesome. So yeah, he's been winning. That was that's my that's my uh, story. You know, uh, he's just he's just winning a lot, and and you know. Last week he had two matches and he just came running off and just jumped, you know, jumped on me and it's like so exciting. He's a little thing too. He was just so excited about that. Uh, and, you know, his future uh, looks a lot brighter, you know. So that's my, uh, that's my story. Uh, my best experience with the sport. So you you mentioned that wrestling makes you mentally, mentally as well as physically strong. What do you think are some other skills that your your kids carry over into the next phase of their lives? Well, the mental toughness. Mm -hmm. Life is hard. A lot, you know, it's it's a lot of valleys and peaks. And if you get stuck in the valley, you know, you know, it's. it's if you don't understand that 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 is part of life, mm -hmm. you know, you you'll stay in those valleys. You know. Wrestling is a win-loss sport. You win or you lose. You know, there's no ties. There's a, it's a win-loss sport. So when you can get up and, and dust yourself off after a loss and just understand it's just a loss, mm -hmm. 
I can get up tomorrow, I'm gonna have another match. And I can, I mean, there's a good chance I'm gonna win that other match. It's, it's, a, it's a fine example of what life is all about. It's to get off, dust yourself off, and keep moving forward. So yeah, you know, my coach always used to tell me um, that wrestling was 85% mental and 15% physical. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, ah, get the hell out of here, coach. You know, come, you know it doesn't feel like 15% yeah. physical. But it's true. You know, if you put your mind to do anything, to win or to, to excel or to or, or to focus on anything that you enjoy doing or you want to do, you can do anything. Whatever's mentally conceivable can be physically done. Absolutely. So tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Oh, wow. <laughs> extraordinary. Uh, well, you know, oh, that's a tough one right there. When you hit the, okay. Um... I would say uh, every day when I walk into that to that uh, uh, facility mm-hmm. and have to deal with 24 different young men and their issues, uh, and and me not taking it to heart, and me to be to remain focused and to be able to help people uh, and wanting to help people would be would be that. And you just said extraordinary on an ordinary day. Listen, as, as someone who, and was a part of my community work, has been behind the walls of San Quentin, okay. who has been inside facilities, mm-hmm. every time I just remember coming out and taking a deep breath, like, I don't know how people do this yeah. every day. And not because, um, not because you don't make a connection, because I made a very real connection with people mm-hmm. uh, behind those walls. But as you mentioned, there's so many different personalities, there's trauma mm-hmm. that that needs to be addressed, um, in addition to just everyday real world world needs and ancillary benefits that they they need to get the, you know the help and, and to progress. It weighs on you. Yeah. So to do it's one thing to kind of pop in and you know we got all these bleeding heart liberals who you know pop in and, and do their t- contribution and they volunteer here and there. It's a whole other thing to work with that population mm-hmm. on a consistent basis and be a face that they see and a constant to help them turn the corner into the next phase of their life. So I, I would agree with you. That you know, never having had to do it every day, mm. but that is being extraordinary yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, those people are amazing. Those people that do this type, do mm-hmm. that type of work, are amazing people. You know, who love it, who, who want to help, mm-hmm. and have no ulterior motives. Without. Absolutely. So, what do you see as far as like the next chapter of your life? What do you see yourself doing? <sighs> um, I want to be a rapper. No. <laughs> You know what? I can do this. I, 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 I can do this for the rest of my life. This mm-hmm. is this is this is what I want to do. This is, you know, I can coach wrestling. I can, you know, I could do that forever. And I think I, you know, I want to do it as long as I can. Uh, I want to keep on helping kids. Uh, uh, level up. I would love to grow the program. Uh, I wish there was more of me, yeah. <laughs> more people. Um, but th- that's what I want to do. But the, the, the finale, you know, is to, to help young people and to help, you know, a lot of these cats move on with their lives, doing what I'm doing. So I am doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you get to a point in your life where you figure it out and say, this is what I want to do. You know, I have no aspiration to be a world dominator anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I do. This is what I want to do. This is what God put me on the uh, uh, earth to do. And uh, I think I'm doing it. Yeah. And I also, like, just as you've been talking, I can say that, like, I don't necessarily remember 
every teacher name that I had or every professor, but I do remember every coach, every coach that I oh, had. Uh, you know, because you you forge that relationship and they're tough on you in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Like you, yeah. as you mentioned, that's very different than uh, than teachers, but it it they instill something in you around resiliency, um, and that I think that, that does carry over. So you out here doing the Lord's work? Yeah, I'm doing God's work out there. <laughs> Showing up. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so um, so who for American Youth Wrestling Club, who is that open to in terms of district or what have Listen, you? Listen, my program is that we wrestle on Saturdays at Farragut Recreation mm-hmm. Center. Um, it's open to everybody. It's open to middle schools, elementary to middle schools. Um, we wrestle from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Saturdays. Like I said, it, it's, it's at the rec center. Um, and it's open to everybody. All the kids, young, you know, there's, there's a strong uh, wrestling uh, female community now uh, in New York City. So it's open to everybody, and you know, that's what we do. So for parents who may be interested in uh, sending their kids, for people who may be interested in volunteering, or for those who may look, want to support in another way, where mm-hmm. can they learn more? Uh, you can actually you can email me at American Youth Wrestling uh, at gmail.com. You can go to American Youth Wrestling Club, uh, dot com uh, if you want to find out more information about the program. We can call it Farragut Recreation Center, uh, which is a New York City housing uh, center uh, to find out and obtain more information about uh, American Youth Wrestling. Or you can just stop by and, and see what we do and uh, see if you're a young person who's interested uh, in the sport of wrestling. Awesome. Well, thank you for being with us. I'm, I definitely enjoy it. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I told you the time goes by. Yeah, you, quick, did, you right? did a great job. Thank you. Yes. So to our listeners, listen, you know, we are committed here to being the best version of ourselves and maximizing our own potential, but also we are huge opponents of giving back. Um, so if you're here in the city and, and want to help out and have an interest, please look up Mr. Allen. Or if you're not here, but you want to sponsor a child, we all know there are expenses associated with running an athletic program and the like. So please support. We all we got. Let's make it happen. And as usual, remember, like, share, subscribe to this podcast. And lastly, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thoval. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.